It says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Father, we thank you that no matter what we're facing in our country, in our personal lives, whatever it is, we're not going to put our faith and trust in things that we can see and institutions that we don't understand or disagree with, whatever that is, Lord. We are trusting in you and we are placing our faith and trust in you because we know that you, God, you, God, are the one that brings salvation. And we stand firm in that assurance. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Father, take the word of God, apply it to our lives today, and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Power. Power. We all want power. One day, about 5.30 in the afternoon, Judy and I arrived at home, drove into our driveway, and pushed the garage door opener button. And nothing happened. I pushed it again. Nothing. We'd had a windstorm that had caused a power outage, and we actually had to walk to the front door and use a key to get in. How primitive that was. A power outage. Then, then we went into the house. Habits are funny. Knowing the electricity is out, I went into the bathroom and flipped the light switch. I, I know there was nothing. I, I knew there was a power outage, but I did it anyway. There was no way to cook, so Ju- to Judy's delight, we went out to eat. She enjoyed that. When we came back, it was getting dark. We had no lights. We couldn't listen to music or watch TV. We had no heat, and it was starting to get cold. Power. It, power, it can be a big deal. Power is really a big deal when it comes to spiritual matters. Spiritual matters. Spiritual power. Power for our spiritual journey. A a lack of spiritual power is more than just an inconvenience, like where are we going to eat? Or there's no light, so we light some candles. Or there's no heat, so we sit under a blanket by the fireplace. We can compensate short-term for a lack of electrical power But power for living, spiritual power, that's a whole other thing. We need power, especially spiritual power. All of us deal with issues on a daily basis that requires power beyond ourselves. And if everything's going great right now, just wait till tomorrow. I mean, it just comes. We're either going, coming out of a problem, going into a problem, or in the middle of a problem. It just happens. We need spiritual power. Power. Is that power available to us? Today we're going to talk about real power for real life. Real power for real life. It's a prayer for power offered by Paul for the Ephesians for us. And let let me just say, as we go through Ephesians, there will be some passages that you just go, oh, I connect with that passage. I've always loved that passage. There will be others you go, oh, that's nice. It's not as relevant today, but that's okay. One of the reasons that we go through uh, a book of the Bible is because we want to give a full diet and not just concentrate on things that we're perhaps passionate about or you're passionate about. We're going to try to give a healthy diet. So that's why we're going through 
the whole book of Ephesians in one paragraph, pretty much one paragraph at a time. This is a prayer for powers, and I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians 3. We're going to read 14 to 21. It's page 948, where it's on the PowerPoint as well. Verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in you, your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his, his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Two weeks ago, we looked at outside in, outside in. How we all used to be outsiders. We all used to be orphans or foreigners or non-citizens without hope and actually without God. Outsiders to God and outsiders to God's community. Outside looking in. Then by the actions of one man who is also God, Jesus Christ, we were able to enter into relationship with God, the Father, and the community of God's people. And this move inside to the inside brought access to God, citizenship with all the rights and privileges, membership in God's family, because we are adopted, connected to Jesus, and actually inhabited by God himself. Outside in. Last Sunday, Pastor Josh talked about the mystery of God's plan for the church. Today, we're going to look at a prayer that Paul prayed for us. It's, it's a prayer for power, which... We all need a prayer for power. Let's start with the context of Paul's prayer. Roman numeral, the context of Paul's prayer is God's name. God's name. Paul begins his prayer by bowing on his knees before the Father and acknowledges that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the Father, God the Father. Now, how important is that? How important is that? Well, in Hebrew culture, names were very, very significant. They didn't use popular names books to name their children. I know we were going to have our first baby. It was like, what are we going to name our first baby? We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, so we picked a boy and a girl's name. And it took us forever to figure that out. But we used the names book because that's kind of what we did. But in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew culture, names had meaning and very, very, very significant. And the names of God denote his character, who he is, even what he does. And this is the context of his prayer, the presupposition, the position from which Paul prays. It's the name, the Father. Everything starts with God. Everything starts with God. Now, for us, name denotes four things, typically. Name denotes four things. First of all, roots. Roots, letter A. Where did we come from? We discover our roots a lot of times in our name. I had a friend who... Who, who visited Ellis Island in New York, New York City. Ellis Island is where, where many immigrants 
entered the United States from Europe. And he wanted to go there because he wanted to find, he searched so he could find his grandfather's name. Now that it was his last name. And he did. He found his grandfather's name. See, names are very important. They can tell us where we came from. All of us derived our names from our fathers. Our fathers. Years ago, if you were Scandinavian heritage, Norwegian or Swedish typically, if your father was Sven, then his son would be called son of Sven or Svensson. Svensson. If it was Hans, it was Hansen or Oli, it was Olsen, etc. typically. And then there's Nordvet. Uh, I, I don't know where, where this came. Anyway, well, Nordvet actually is a place in Norway where my grandfather came from. His name was originally Hansen. He, his father was Hansen, so it was Hansen. He moved to a place in Washington State called Bellingham in the northern part of the, of the United States, northwest. And there were so many Hansons there. He said, I'm going to change my name to something nobody else will ever have. And that's Nordvet. And we've been living with the consequences ever since. So my name comes from my father and denotes, it, it denotes heritage, a connection, history, and roots. Where did we come from? There's a history, there's a, there's a heritage, and all of us have that related to the name. A name also denotes belonging, belonging. I belong to this family. We have a, a sense of identity, whether we're part of the, the Johnson family or the Anderson family or the whatever family, we have a, an identity with that family. It denotes we belong. A name also means relationship, means we're related. We have a connection, a family. We have relatives because we have a name. And if married, we have in-laws or outlaws, however you want to describe it. We have one or the other. Name also denotes, in addition to relationship, denotes worth and value. Someone placed great value on you at your time of birth and gave you a name. Gave you a name. A first name, typically a first name and a last name, and a lot of times a middle name, or several middle names I've seen. But usually there was some name given you. And part of our identity, everything we think, everything we do, comes from a sense of self-awareness of knowing who I am on the name. We all also have roots based on our relationship to God, our Heavenly Father. If we have chosen to respond to his offer of forgiveness and leadership, we're born again and we're adopted, our heritage is related to his name. He says, I derive my name from God. From God. Your name comes from God. Pretty amazing. This is the starting place for our identity. It's the starting place for power. The name, the connection, the connection to God. I have a name, and if you feel rootless, like you don't belong, or no value or worth, this is where we start, because we have been given a name by God. In the context of name comes the content of Paul's prayer for power. Let's look at the content of Paul's prayer. Four parts. Four parts he talks about here. And the first one is letter A. It's, it's the power to fight. The power to fight. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Strengthened in your inner being. Now, what does that have to do with the power to fight? What does that have to do with the power to fight? Well, we are at war. And, and we're not just in a cultural war or political war or spiritual war. All of those things we're pretty much aware of. But there's a war raging 
A lot of us don't think about this. It's the power we need. It's the war raging inside each of us that needs to be won. There's a war raging inside of each of us. Paul describes it in Romans, in Romans 7, 18 to 25. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good than I, the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Okay, you think you had run-on sentences when you wrote papers in school? Yeah, this, that's one of the challenges of studying Paul's. It's like, okay, where, where is he going with this and what's the, yeah, so anyway. But he gets to all of that, and it's a little confusing, and then he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's through Jesus Christ our Lord that, that this battle can be won inside each one of us. Now, we don't have time to dissect this passage today, but what it describes is a battle. It's a war inside each and every one of us, the old man and the new man. And we need power. We need power to fight that war. We need power to win that war. And that power doesn't come from us, but from God's spirit in us. It's God's spirit in us that can win that war. There was an old Native American Indian that was discussing this particular Romans passage with a missionary, and he described it like this. He said, inside of me, there are two dogs, a white dog and a black dog, and they're fighting. The black represents the evil of the flesh nature. The white dog represents the good of the new nature. And the missionary asked him which dog was winning. And the elderly man answered, whichever dog I feed the most. Whichever dog I feed the most. Whatever dog I feed the most. Is there a battle ever going on inside of you? I'm sure it is. Do you experience it? It's a very real war. It's a very real battle. Whether it's materialistic desires or anger, pride, gossip, lust, pornography. We have all these things that come out and they're part of our human nature that Jesus is slowly transforming and changing in that war. And we want to do what's right. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do not. Human nature is seeking to control it all. You want to be in control. So the human nature is to do that. Who will rescue us here? Jesus Christ. His power in me. His power inside me. He talks about strengthened in your inner being. How do we affect that power? Which dog do we feed the most? Feed the spiritual nature, starve the human nature. So strength for the inner being with that war that's going on. Power to fight also. We also have letter B, power to live. Power to live. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, to dwell means to make one's home or to, to be at home. And, and this has to do with relationship, but it's also, it's not just relationship, it's comfortable relationship. It's comfortable relationship. To be at home in. Now, think, think about a minute for, let's contrast two homes. Let's take home A. Um, you go visit somebody in, in home A, and you walk in, you don't dare sit down or touch anything. 
you wonder, should I take my shoes off? And if I do, should, do I have holes in my socks? I, I don't remember. You know, you have this, this disconcerting reaction. You're not sure how to react or act. And we don't know what actually we should have worn to this gathering at this home or whatever. We just don't know what to expect. Say, what are the rules in this house? And so that you go to this home and you're supposed to make yourself at home. And it's anything but comfortable. Comfortable? No, not so much. Then you have home B. Home B. Entering this home is like putting on a pair of slippers or old jeans. Comfortable. It's predictable. You know that you're welcome. You know what to expect. You can wear anything. You can sit anywhere. You can raid the refrigerator. It's kind of like Headlands. You go there, you can raid his refrigerator. Be yourself. Comfortable. At home. Jesus wants us to be at home in our hearts. Jesus wants to be at home in our hearts, to live there. His presence and person gives us the power to live. The question is, is Jesus at home in your heart? Is he at home in your heart? This is the great mystery in the contrast between the law, which is keeping the rules, which is not very comfortable. I just have to make sure I follow the rules, versus relationship, which is taking up residence in a comfortable way. And Jesus has changed our nature to be at home, a new creation. The old is gone, all is new. And Paul's prayer is for Jesus to be at home in our lives. Does Jesus dare touch anything? Does he know what to expect? Does he know how we'll react? Can he raid the refrigerator? Those are all questions. How comfortable is Jesus in my heart and life? And Paul's prayer is for Jesus to be at home in our lives. Our relationship is so familiar, consistent, and comfortable. This is to arrange our lives in such a way that Jesus can exert his power and influence in order to give us power, to be empowered to live. Now, this is done through faith. It's through faith. This is all part of that. By faith, we have a new direction, new orientation in the person of Jesus Christ. Dr. James Stewart wrote a book called A Man in Christ. And he, he's trying to get people to understand how intimate this relationship is with this, this person, Jesus, who dwells inside our life by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks of prayer as keeping us in touch with God, who at every instant instance is present. He's there. He's just there all the time. In Christ. He says we need to recognize and exercise the indwelling Christ. He goes on to describe this looking to Jesus through faith, and he just, he just has three phrases. Do you have the power to live? He says, do not look inward, look outward. Don't look inward, look outward. To, don't trust in something inside ourselves, but some, someone outside, Jesus, who does live in us. Don't look down, but look up. Don't look down to sin and the things that drag us down, but upward to the beauty and purity of Jesus. And don't look back, look forward. Don't look back at past failures. We can all look back at past failures. He says, look forward to the future, future goals. This is power to live, power to live. And letter C is he prays for us to have the power to love, the power to love. 17, second part of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know the love of Jesus. 
Now, the word power is used three times in this passage, and the word love is also used three times. This is Christ's love. This is God's love. And Paul wants us to know the meaning of love. And it's more than just kind of an intellectual knowledge of it. Know means experiencing this love because it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. Sometimes we just need to keep it simple. No matter what our past is, no matter where we are today, present, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. We tend to make it very complicated with conditions and stipulations and regulations. We tend to love if Jesus just loves, period, unconditionally. Karl Barth, brilliant liberal theologian, was once asked what the greatest truth he knew was. And he thought for a moment and he said these words. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Greatest, greatest words. Simple love, the power of love. Paul then goes on. That's the power of love. He goes on to describe the dimensions of the love this love, the dimensions, it's in, it's in four dimensions. He, he says, I want you to know how wide this is, <clears throat> the breadth, how long it is, the length, the heights, the high, and how deep it is. All-encompassing love that knows no bounds. He says, I want you to experience that. I want you to be a person that experiences this kind of love. No one is outside the reach of that love. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. Wide, deep, high, incredible love. The dimensions. One tangible way to experience that love has to do with locus or, or location. Where do we experience this kind of love? There, there's a, there is a location. Verse 18 says, with all the saints. In other words, we find this love in community. Community. In community. We begin to comprehend the love of Jesus in community with other believers. Other believers. Jim Thompson asked, why do we chase after autonomy when what we desperately need is community? Why do we chase after autonomy when we desperately need community? See, we cannot learn about Jesus' love in isolation. We must learn it in community. I have pe- I've had people say all over the years, they've said things like this, I don't need to be part of a church to practice my Christian faith. I don't need to be part of a church to practice my Christian faith. Well, we can have a belief system, we can have a set of propositional truths, but we cannot experience true Christianity outside of community. We, it, it just can't be experienced. You, we don't know it unless it's in community with other believers. It means relationship. And I, I'm not talking about just attending church because people attend church regularly and some of them are, attend church regularly, but they're not connected to community. Nothing to do with the, attending church. Everything has to do with becoming an active part of a community of believers. To know and experience the love of Christ, we must be in community. We cannot know the love of Christ outside. Now, that may look different for every one of us. 
You know, we're not going to say you have to do this and do that. You know, it could be a connect group, a small group, Bible study, a fellowship group, accountability group, prayer group. You can talk about all kinds of different iterations, iterations of what that community looks like. But community is absolutely essential if we're going to experience the power of the love of Jesus. Number three, the function of love. The function of love. That you may be filled up. How many of you like empty? Empty, empty cupboards, empty gas tank, empty. Yeah, we're, we're not crazy about it. We like full. We like full. He says that you may be filled up. Filled up is the opposite of empty. We don't like empty. We like full. And Paul's prayer for us is that we be full of God. We don't need to be God's. But we can be full of God through Jesus Christ in his Holy Spirit. So this leads us to the final part of Paul's prayer. Power to fight, power to live, power to love. And letter D, the power of God's spirit. Power of God's spirit. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. His power that is at work within us. The Holy Spirit's power. The question is, have you been filled, immersed, soaked, baptized? You can use all kinds of different terms. Different denominations use different terms. But have you and are you being ongoing, filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's an ongoing process. Why? Because we leak. Okay, that just happens. We need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And are you filled with him? So much so that he can do immeasurably more than we can ask for or imagine. I don't know if you've ever really thought about those words. Doing immeasurably more than we can ask for or imagine. Imagine. Imagine the most incredible possible outcome for your present circumstance. God can do better. Immeasurably better. Filled with the fullness of God. Imagine the most incredible, unbelievable outcome to a prayer that you're praying for someone. God can do better. He can do immeasurably better. Imagine the most unbelievable miracle you are believing God for. God can do better. Immeasurably better. I didn't say that. God said that. And God said he will do it through you. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. I think we would all agree. This world is not what it was meant to be. Our lives are not what they were meant to be. And my prayer with Paul is that all of us will begin to discover the power to fight. The power to live. The power to love. And the power of God's spirit. Real power. For real life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a picture of Paul's prayer. And I pray, God, that we would live that out. God, that we would see what you're trying to do as you build our lives. And I pray, God, in the middle of this, just this craziness that we're experiencing in many many ways, it's been an insane year, that we would discover the power of the Spirit of God to fight, live, live, in love, in Jesus' name.